0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: 347 episodes in, and I still mess up the recording process almost every time. I don't know how, but it'll keep going. It'll work. Not important. Miss Mitzi Purdue coming on here for the umpteenth time. One of my favorite guests, my honorary grandmother, and today... Actually, Mitzi, how about you introduce yourself and how about you tell everyone what we're going to be talking about?
2: All right. Uh, I'm Mitzi Perdue. I'm the person who has figured out Tommy Kerrigan's superpower. Uh, His superpower, at least as revealed today, is the ability to mess up electronics this time. Are we still friends?
1: (laughs) Yes, we are still friends. I promise
2: okay uh to be more serious no i love tommy with all my heart and soul i think he's a total genius and i think he's the the next joe rogan i mean and by the way while you're listening to him do something that a couple of other listeners whom i happen to know personally and we've gotten in contact uh, over tommy that we we all agree that he has an extraordinary data bank of analogies to bring to to just explain things so When you're listening to him and when you're trying to figure out why you love him, uh, notice how often he just has amazing analogies. And that was a very long circuitous way of getting to answer his question, uh, which is, who am I? (laughs) Well, what I'll be talking about today is, I'm the daughter of the co-founder and president of the Sheraton Hotel chain. My late father, Ernest Henderson founded the Sheraton Hotels in the early 1930s, pretty much at the height of the Great Depression, and that was a period when absolutely everybody was, if they owned a hotel, dumping it as fast as they could, because owning a hotel was a one-way ticket to bankruptcy. Well, father managed through some skills that I hope Tommy asks me about, he managed to turn things around so that he started with one hotel, and at the time of his death, which was in the late 1960s, the family owned 400 hotels. Actually, we owned controlling share because it was a publicly trading company. Uh, but that is part of that, that's who I am for today. I am hotel heiress.
1: And also, for everyone interested, in, uh, you run winthisfight.org, WTF.org, which is an anti human trafficking ring, which we've done other episodes about, but I won't segue into that.
2: Um, oh yeah, but but uh, yeah. Just keep in mind that if you text WTF, and yeah, I do know what it means. But it, from my mind, it, for the moment, it stands for win this fight. If you text WTF to fifty-one fifty-five-five, uh, you can get into contact with me, and you can learn a lot of really interesting stuff on what you can do about human trafficking.
1: Awesome. So with with founding, so I didn't know that that he that he started at the height of the Great Depression. I guess I I just never put two and two together. I have watched some of your lectures on it on, you know, what he would do, where the first repairs would go to the places where the public would never see. Um, is that is that what is directly correlated to its success?
2: Well, I used to ask him. You know, what made you a success because I came along I mean I was born in 1941 and to save everybody uh, doing the calculations I'll be 80 next mark this coming March um, but as, as a little girl and I, we're talking like the 1940s early 1950s I was forever asking him you know what's the secret of success what did you do and you know he was an indulgent and loving father and and it was a really fabulous way for me, his youngest, to get parental attention to ask these questions. So I was highly motivated to you know, just ask, ask, ask. And he had many different answers. One of the ones that I cherish, and I kind of think applies to you a little bit, Tommy. He said that one of the secrets of his success was he didn't discourage easily and he'd try long shots. He'd try things that other people might think, eh, it's more than a one in forty chance. I won't even think of it. Father said that if the reward was big enough, he'd try a one in a hundred chance. And so he's very big on on going for the long shots if there was a big enough payoff. And that's kind of the story of your career, Tommy. You're going for a long shot, but the payoff is extraordinary. Yeah. And Father had a lot of perseverance. I see that in you too.
1: Thank you. It is. It's if it's worth it, go for it. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. If the lottery ticket's big enough, go spend it. Go go buy a dollar. Go buy a dollar ticket.
2: Exactly, and and you're not going to win if you don't get that lottery exactly. ticket. Exactly. Well, I'll I'll continue side so, so monologue.
1: No, yeah, absolutely, please do because because uh, I am I am the student in this episode, so. Oh. Any oh, I love
2: it! I want a new title, Professor Mitzi. Professor,
1: Professor Purdue.
2: Professor Purdue. Oh yes. All right. So I'll be serious and very serious. Uh, but I'd love to share some of the stories that I know of what made the Sheraton Hotel chain a success. But to delve back a little bit farther, Father. Yeah, towards the end of his days, was an absolute titan in the hospitality industry. I mean, I've tried to calculate if there was anybody other than a national politician who shook as many hands or interacted uh, as a host with more people than somebody who ran a hotel chain of 400 hotels. And you would think that, that he must have just naturally understood hospitality and... But it couldn't be further from the truth. Father's success in the hotel industry was, I think, as unpredictable as anything you could imagine. Because at age 26, uh, he was engaged to my mother, and his mother told my mother, don't marry Ernest because you'll end up poor. He can never stick to anything. Well... well, Yeah, I mean... (laughs) uh, well, that what I just told you about what Grandmother Berta said, you know, don't marry Ernest, you'll end up poor. That's sort of a symptom of kind of the environment that my father grew up in, which was Grandmother Berta was, was German, uh, born in Germany. And I don't think the Germans are as, uh, at least in that era, were sort of as warm and fuzzy and cozy as, as we are today. I mean, they... Uh, she just said what she thought. Yeah. Oh, well, father took this as, um, you know, a giant wake-up call. Oh, if my, even my own mother says I can never sick to anything. Let me see if I can find out what's wrong. Yeah. So he went to a career guidance counselor. And I don't know if they had yellow pages back then, but, I mean, he just simply found Johnson O'Connor. I think it was on Beacon Street in Boston, somewhat near where he lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And he spent a whole day with Johnson O'Connor taking every test you can think of. And at the end of the tests, Johnson O'Connor told my father, hey, you're clearly a bright fellow. Uh, father was a graduate of both Harvard and MIT, so he was a bright fellow. But Johnson O'Connor told him, in my career, I've never seen somebody with worse human relations skills. And he said, you know since since you have this handicap that you're just don't have any ability to talk diplomatically or you know any of any of the social sort of grease things that that keep society going uh, that he johnson o'connor recommended that my father have a career as a scientist he said you'll do really well because you know you, you're a graduate of mit you 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 clearly have a scientific brain, and you're, you're really a, a bright fellow. Uh, have a career as a scientist in a laboratory where you can do all your smart stuff and not interact with anybody.
0: Not yet. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, and, and can you imagine that that person became an icon in the hospitality industry where you have to understand people and, and be warm and gracious and say the right thing? I mean, can you even imagine
1: I remember when I was interviewing at Tulane Medical School in December 2013, we had to go in and do like a mock uh, bedside manner test, and it was yeah. like, I have to go convince a woman to, obviously they're all actors, I have to go convince a woman to stop smoking.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching, from the launcher online shop stage, all the way to
0: the We just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer.
1: She's like, but I just really like it. And I just like looked her dead in the eye. I was like, you're going to die and your kids are going to have no mother. (laughs) And like they said, I got a terrible grade on it. And I remember I later made the dean laugh because he was like, so how would you... How would you kind of uh work around that and i was like well i was like i want to be an anesthesiologist which i did and he was like he's like but bedside manner he was like i was like well i worked as a bouncer in college at a bar and he was like how does that help your argument and i was like <laughs> i was like well in college i could knock out people i didn't like and as, That's an, anesthesi- the- <laughs> and as an anesthesiologist i can knock them out too he laughed. I didn't get in, but I, he laughed. But but yeah, it's you know, my logic was work around it. But I guess he took a completely different way. And he said, just walk right into it. Become the best human relations person possible.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, what what father did and he told me this, he said that he realized, you know, so he kind of looked around the world and how it worked. Uh, and he was very good at seeing how to get from here to there, that if you wanted to be anything at all in the world, and he was an ambitious man. uh that getting along with people was key to everything. And so he began what I take to be a lifelong program of learning everything he possibly could about what motivates people, what makes them tick, mm-hmm. what they like, what they hate, uh, what they're scared of. And he went about it by, and I know he took courses, but he, he took courses that, you know, some were straight psychology courses, but he'd take public speaking on the theory that uh, that if if you're addressing an audience, you better figure out what what they want and what interests them and yeah. you know what's important to them. It's not about you, it's about them. He also, uh, he'd take salesmanship courses. Again, because you're not going to do well in a salesmanship course unless you put a lot of effort into figuring, figuring out what your prospect wants, what's going to make your prospect's life better. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, it's not about you. It's thinking what the other person wants well he also read books uh attended lectures later on in his life when he became super successful I remember there would just be like almost a continuous stream of famous psychologists and psychiatrists who would be weekend guests at our country home and these included people like B.F. Skinner who was super famous in the 60s uh, Eddie Bernays, and I think he's known as Edward Bernays, but I grew up hearing him as Eddie Bernays. I believe he was the father of modern advertising. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, what I'm saying with all these examples is that father put heart and soul into learning everything he could about what makes people tick. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And, and by the way, something else, uh, he and my mother both would read How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. He took the course but he also would read it every 10 years because he said the insights were just so basic, so timeless, that, you know, a, a, fresh, a refresher course was just always a good thing. But, okay, so now let me jump away from why initially he was probably the least qualified person that you could imagine to get into the hotel industry he developed his skills because he didn't just take them for granted he developed them to a level that i i'm going to guess that i wonder if i can say none of his competitors could touch him in in human relations skills and i'd love to give an example it's a great big long one you said i'm you're okay with monologuing
1: it's it's your episode
2: oh i love it power (laughs) life is good (laughs) No, but I, I I love to tell this story because I think it it could be helpful to people. It's a, it's an attitude story. Okay. He told me that when he would take over a hotel, and remember, he started during the Great Depression. The hotels he bought were usually ones that were on the verge of bankruptcy. I mean, they wouldn't be for sale unless unless they were in real financial trouble. And when he'd take over a hotel, he told me. The first thing he had ever do when he took possession was to invite all the employees to come into the hotel ballroom. And there could be 400 or 800 people because a lot of people, it takes a lot of people to run even a medium-sized hotel. Mm -hmm. Well, he knew that those people coming into the ballroom were as demoralized as people could be because... Yeah you know, this is the great depression there was 25% unemployment and if you lost your job uh, you weren't going to get another and it probably meant the breadline you know it's just a dire circumstance for the employees because they knew that you know this is a new owner and it's absolutely typical of mm-hmm. new owners to bring in fresh fresh people mm-hmm. or maybe take care of their uncles and cousins and nephews and so Father knew that every single person there was probably really nervous about what the future held for him and father even realized that they probably weren't going to listen much to anything he said until he dealt with that with that issue so the first words out of his mouth always were i want every one of you to keep your job and then he'd he'd follow it up he'd say i want you to keep your job because I know that you know your job better than anybody else in the world, and my job is to give you the resources and the encouragement to show the world just how good you are. And you'll see in a few months, this is going to be the best served, most popular hotel in the city. It's going to become financially secure, which makes your job more secure. It's going to become the most financially secure uh, hotel in the area. And we're going to be an example to the rest of the city. We're going to be a shining example that things can turn around and things that can get, can get better. Uh, cool? Beautiful. But that's not the end of the story. Uh, the next part of the story, he told me, was that the following day, the employees would see, you know, just masses of people coming in, electricians, plumbers, decorators. But those people would never go to the areas that the paying public would see. No, they'd go to the areas where the employees work, the places the non-public would never See, and uh, for example, they would they would refurbish the employee dining room, the employee lockers, the employees' uh, showers, the corridors, the rickety old elevators, and so I asked my father, "You know, does, wouldn't it make more sense to spend money where you'd get money back? You know, refurbishing the areas where the paying public would see?" And he said, "No." And what I'm about to say is something that he told me a hundred different times in different ways in different contexts. But he said the entire success of a hotel depends on the employees. And he said people have a compulsion to live up to or down to your expectations. And he, by putting his first money in the areas that only the employees would see, he was communicating to them how important they were to him and how much he believed in them.
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of, actually I don't know if this analogy works, but right, it's like taking over like a football stadium, like buying a team. And it's like, you should be putting all your money into like advertising. And it's like, I think the number one thing you do would probably be like, get the best personal trainers, get the best workout facilities, get the most abstract nutritionists, cover all the bases. Because if your team is a Tom Brady team, Everything else is going to fall in line. I don't know how well that analogy works. Actually,
2: I'm. I'm, I'm just thinking Tommy Carrigan has done it yet again. Just pulling out of the ether. <laughs> really good analogy. Oh, thank you. Uh, and and I said a while ago that your your superpower was uh, messing up uh, audio. It is. <laughs> But allow me to amend it. I think your superpower is is drawing these analogies out of heaven knows where. But in my mind, they always work. And then the one that you just gave is absolutely spot on. But I don't think his competitors saw that. Um, I'm pretty sure they didn't because he grew from one hotel to 400. And the average hotel owner does not do that.
1: What was was the average? I don't even know if. Is there an average? Is there like a, a ballpark average growth of what others were doing? That's not really important. Never mind. Back to your story.
2: Oh, but I'll go answer it anyway. Okay. Uh, he almost had no competition when when he'd be say a hotel was put up for sale. It would be rare for him to have any competition whatsoever because the the received wisdom in the nineteen thirties is get away from hotels. Mm-hmm. Uh, which made it a happy hunting ground for him because he had a magic key for turning things around, Mm -hmm. which is an absolutely energized workforce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I I said that, that there was more than one part to the story, let's move. I think this is the final point, although I might find another one. But, now, again, I'm a little girl asking, Daddy, why you did this, why you did that? and getting loads of parent, parental attention in, in the process, which, you know, made me happy. Uh, I asked him, why is it that you just simply gave away the fact that uh, everybody could continue working for you? Wouldn't you rather, um, like, make them earn it, you know, instead of just giving it away free? And and he explained to me his thinking behind promising everybody just right off the t- right at the beginning... That, that they were going to keep their jobs. Uh, his first reason for making that promise was, you know, people would listen after that. Before that, they're just so mm-hmm. clouded here that they can't even hear you. But the the second part of it is he told me that in his world, there were three ways of getting people to do what you want. I mean, of course, probably 50 million, but in his world, there were the following. He said, I could have stood up there in front of them in that first day, and I could have told them. And by the way, he did this with pretty much every hotel he ever bought. But let's let's stick with one example. He said, I could have stood up there in front of them and said, shape up or you're fired. Yeah. He said that will get compliance. That will that will get people, you know, gets their attention. But he said, in his world, that was always a bad choice for motivating people because he said you can get people to do what you want, but they'll do it. They'll do it grudgingly. They'll do the least that they can get by with. Uh, it's it's not a way of getting people to go the extra mile or stay with you for life.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So what's number two? Because I said there are three. Number two, bribery. He said, I could have stood up there in front of them and said, do a super good job, and there's a raise in in it for you, or do a super good job, and there's a bonus in it for you. He said, what's wrong with bribery? And why he, he just felt that was an ineffective way to motivate people. I mean, you have to pay them a basic decent amount, but bribery above that. He said the problem is, A, people don't stay bribed. You have to keep increasing Mm -hmm. it. Uh, But he said another problem is people work for the bribe rather than for for the good of the whole team. Mm -hmm. And so he was against intimidation, against bribery. So what does work? Yeah, Inspiration. He said that a leader's job is to give people a better vision of themselves. And he said, when I'm telling, when I was telling the people that first day or their first day of, of working for Sheraton, he said, when I'm telling the people that that this is going to be a shining example for the rest of, of the city and that you're part of a team that's going to make it happen. and. Yeah, you know, the subtext is uh, people live up to or down to your expectations. Mm-hmm. You said that the message was that say the the waitress waiting on table, or maybe the maid making beds, or the bartender tending bar. They're not waiting on table or making beds or tending bar, no. They're part of a team that is going to make this the best hotel in the city.
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us.
2: mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions
2: apply if rated PG. And they're all working in it together. And the overall goal is to make this hotel... Popular,
0: mm-hmm.
2: well served, an example, and and so in his world, inspiration was the way to get people to do what you want, mm-hmm. and he was like that his his whole life.
1: Yeah, I was going to say the yeah. There's and there's like different. I was going to say the bribery, right? That's like moving from from Vicodin to OxyContin to Fentanyl. It's like, dude, it only goes so far before you're dead, and then. <laughs> i was gonna say the 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 fear right the compliance have you ever seen the movie uh a bronx tale i don't think this line is from that it's actually a pretty generic line but like the head mob boss Sonny, actually in his like his protege is this young kid like a teenager so it's actually kind of like you and your dad it's like yeah (laughs) But it's a very dark movie all about like murder and extortion but like oh,
2: bring it on it, i love it. it
1: it takes place in like oh, 19- i
2: love that you so often have uh crime stories or it's, or green beret stories yeah. or yeah, bring it on
1: it's it's the movie takes place in like 1950 well, bronx takes place in 1950s bronx it's got one of the most like disturbing like race race fight scenes ever but in the movie he he asked him he's like sonny would you rather be loved or would you rather be feared and he just says feared just like and he, he goes on some long explanation but he was like feared but that's not in human relations and a hotel chain that's in drugs murder extortion rape kidnapping segregation that was so i don't know yeah maybe it's like yeah it maybe kind of you can see where it kind of like manifests itself in a different way, where if your incentive or your baseline force is fear, you get 1950s mob-riddled Bronx, or if your baseline is inspiration, you get Sheraton Hotels, which was actually 20 years prior. So, I mean, you can't even use the whole, of, well, it's a better time. It's right after the Depression, right? So, it's going through World War II. So, it, you can use two different ways to sort of guide your ship right it's like fear everyone in every mafia movie everyone always ends up dead in a pile of their own blood that's just how it goes that's that is a the sun will rise tomorrow the mob boss will die sheraton hotel's still going
2: well it's i mean again he his ability to do that and how he in my opinion surpassed any of his competitors Mm -hmm. was I think a direct result that his greatest deficit became his greatest asset and that is understanding human nature yeah yeah And, and by the way you mentioned fear and I have I have four siblings they're all older than me and we often ask ourselves you know, he got absolute, total, complete compliance from any of us. We, we, you know, the idea of challenging him or sassing him it didn't exist. Mm-mm. And I'm, I, yeah, we all try to figure out what did he do because he didn't threaten us. He didn't. I, I guess he was just. Oh, and we knew he loved it, us. But, but the idea of going against his wishes, um, walk the plank first. And mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not entirely certain how he did that. And then another thing that he did which we discussed recently, my brother and sister and I on on a Zoom call recently discussed this. A a flaw that we see in many families is a lot of sibling rivalry. Mm -hmm. Uh, People who who end up hating each other, Cain and Abel kind of things. Uh And I'm particularly sensitive to this because I write on family businesses and 70% of family businesses won't make it to the next generation. And the reason why is, well, most often, is family quarrels. Well, what did Father do that kept us from fighting and that kept us from, you know, like being jealous of each other? And my brother's view was that it became part of the family culture that that we were almost required to rejoice when somebody did well and to grieve when they did badly Mm -hmm. and that the success of one was the success of all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the family that I grew up with, somehow father and mother... Instilled something that I, I wish I could bottle it and help other families with it because I mean I think we get well. There's there's another part to this. I mentioned that Sheraton began in the 1930s, but the Henderson Estate Company, the family business, began in 1840, 184
1: oh. years ago. Gee, I didn't know that.
2: Yeah. And it was really cool. We we just had our our anniversaries, our reunions began fifty years after uh, after the founding of the company. We just celebrated our one hundred and thirty first reunion.
0: Jeez.
2: So that means a, a very long tradition of of having figured out how to avoid family rivalries, uh, how to solve problems. Uh, so although father may have grown up with. Uh, you know, with not a whole lot of human relations skills, certainly had a uh, well, an understanding of how to have a a high functioning family
0: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, there is always that odd I say odd because it's hard to understand, not odd and that the idea is odd, the balance between yeah, the carrot and the stick the positive and the negative the love versus fear inspiration versus compliance and it's very I don't know, there's a Hunter S. Thompson quote, and he's, I can't even do his voice, so I won't try, but he says, fear is like, it's not all bad. Fear is like a wild animal. Like, you can use it to pull your chariot, but like a wild animal, always keep a gun pointed at it, so if it turns on you, you can end it. There, I think that is true, you know? It's, I set out to try to be a doctor because I wanted to help other people. I liked liked biology, I liked the idea of job security. Fear is what drove me through those like 3 a.m. study sessions because it was like, man, if this doesn't work out, like what the heck am I gonna do? Like, I don't wanna go some. Actually, so I'd say job security probably fell into that. I was like, man, I want that, you know, I want a white coat, Dr. Kerrigan, I'll always have a job. Even if this nation falls, the new the new regime will still need a doctor like it doesn't matter where right you you can be in europe whether it's the weimar republic or whether it's france or whether it's america or mexico or whether you're the personal physician to some cartel dictator everybody needs a doctor so my mind was like i'm gonna be a doctor because it's the ultimate job security if there isn't a job for a doctor it's because the world is over so it's cancels itself out but that it's, yeah, the love of, like, I want to be a doctor, I want to help people. That's the sort of the flowery, it gets you to go on to this, this race, you know, this whatever. The fear is, I don't know, maybe it has to be self-implemented because no one told me I had to be a doctor. It was, maybe that's the key. It's because, like you said, you're like, you know, never challenge your dad. But it's, it's I think, I don't know, maybe the fear has to be self-implemented, like i don't know it's it's kind of hard to yeah i I don't know
2: i wish i had an answer to it because i i had something look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do i even say other than hey (sighs) well that's why they're introducing an all new bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer, they've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And somewhat puzzling happened with, I've got two sons, this is my older son, uh, to protect his privacy, we'll call him Peter. Okay. Uh, but I felt that it didn't take a whole lot, I you know, think two with two teenage boys, and uh I, I think I rarely spoke sharply to them. I mean, I think they wanted to please. But I remember one day when Peter was maybe sixteen years old, and you know, big tall boy, and I hadn't seen him around for a couple of hours. I was sort of curious. And I walked by his bedroom, and there he was face down on his waterbed, sobbing. and uh, I, I'd almost never seen him cry. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't a crying kind of kid so this is very unnerving to me so i rush up to him peter peter darling what's wrong what's wrong and he said you told me a few hours ago that i disappointed you and i can barely stand it and you know for the rest of his life i've been very careful about using any harsh words with him because if you know if just an offhand i'm disappointed in you unravels him yeah. i've got to i've got to use a lighter touch
1: yeah yeah i, I don't maybe it's like because you know growing up with three brothers it was very much the same like you know my dad is a wonderful guy but it was also like yeah i would rather walk the plank than challenge him growing up and one i just think that's sort of like the health i know nowadays it's a controversial idea but i just thought it was like a, a healthy kind of role relationship right like mom raised us mom stayed at home with us dad worked there's also you know mom dealt with us all day and it was kind of like it's kind of like riots right it's like yeah they're gonna call the cops and sure whatever you're gonna riot you're gonna jump on top of cop cars burn down a burger king Mm. that that is the national guard once they start rolling in you're like okay (laughs) Finished with this thing, man. You know, that's how it always ends, right? You can see like the LA riots in 92, 91, whatever it was, and George H.W. Bush called in the Insurrection Act. I was just looking at photos of it the other day. It all stops when the guys in the blue with the badges go home, and all of a sudden the military green trucks roll up, and it's a bunch of guys with M16s. That's the language that humans understand. It's just, I mean, you just understand. That's the brute force of like we pretend that that's not who we are, but at the base, that's what we still are, just animals. And one analogy I always think of is like, you know, how did my, I would argue, how did my dad raise us so well? And I, now I can't stop thinking about every time I come up with an analogy. I'm like, oh crap, it's not, but it's. it's look
2: what would uh, I do to
1: you. I know, oh, well, I know. I, now I can't. Yeah, now I can't. Mission
2: accomplished. Go. I mean, because cause we know what I'm really like. I love to do things like yes, that. Yes,
1: it's, but it's like the, the game, do you remember the game Operation? It was like the, it was. I mean, it was a board game when I was little. It was like an electronic board game, you know? And it was like a guy, and you had to do Operation, but if, but you had to use these like metal tweezers, and the edges of the guy had like a metal silhouette. Do you remember what game I'm talking about? I, um, I didn't. It was, I mean, it's, it's like a really famous, I think it's like pretty old. But if you touch the edges, it buzzed. So you're supposed to go in and, like, you know, there's, like, plastic organs and you're supposed to move around and it's, like... What a cool thing. Yeah, and it's, like, if you touch the side, it buzzes and the whole thing shakes. It was just some board game. But I guess that's kind of how I looked at kind of growing up. It was, like, as long as we stayed within, like, the borders of, like, not going to jail, not stealing, and not failing out of, like, high school... There was some, like, very basic, like, yeah, like, don't murder anyone. Don't go to jail. Yeah. You know, don't disrespect your mother. And then within that, it was like, you have free reign. You can do whatever you want. But it was like there was these very defined, like, if you step across this border, it's game over. Right? what what kind of consequences would you be up against? (sighs) I don't know. And maybe that's the brilliance of it.
2: It's like, <laughs> I have no idea what my father would have yeah. done.
1: I just didn't dare. That's the reality of it. You know, I think if I could go back, maybe I'd actually press more buttons. Cause I'm not accusing my dad's a loving guy. My mom's a loving woman. Like they're incredible parents. I don't know. Maybe they would have flipped a switch and maybe I would have saw like a, an anger I'd never seen before. Maybe it was all bluff. Maybe it was all bluff. Like, I don't know. But the point is, is it worked right is, oh, is, is, it, word, yeah. is, is it worked a lot of a lot of uh under reagan there's the mx missile program and there's a thing where we wanted to defeat the soviets by instead of trying to build more nuclear weapons than them it was to give the impression that we had more nuclear weapons so we were going to have these things where it's like moving trucks and trains all full of on all these silos out in the Midwest. And not even the teams moving the missiles would know whether or not they had a real one or a dummy one. But let's say if a nuclear missile, the warhead plus all the fuel, let's say if it costs $10 million a missile. Well, if you make a $10 million missile and then you make nine dummy ones that weigh the exact same and look the exact same to the point where even the guys moving them don't know. So it's like even if you get an inside man to be a mole or a double agent, The idea was, so now we can take our 70,000 missiles, and for all intents and purposes, the Soviets won't know whether or not we have 700,000 missiles. So, if they want to do an all-out attack, they can't risk missing one of them. They don't know which is a dummy and which isn't, right? So, it's – maybe it was like that. It was like a force amplification, and it's like I didn't know what was real and what wasn't. So, I just like (laughs) – that know, as, as i'm
2: looking at at my nuclear armed father
1: as i look at your uh, nuclear yeah yeah, yeah
2: that, i mean uh boy i i could buy into that in a heartbeat
1: yeah it's you know it's you sure you can call the bluff maybe you'll get away with it maybe you'll but
2: i don't think i will yeah
1: maybe you can maybe you can go punch that nuclear missile and it's just full of water and sand that might be a possibility it might but be let's,
2: let's let's not put it to the test
1: it might be a thermonuclear weapon <laughs> <laughs> it, it might vaporize the entire state of Montana. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so, yeah, I didn't. I, I never really thought about that until you asked it. What kind of like, force was I actually up against?
2: And just think, at some point, there will be little ones coming up to you saying "daddy, daddy, daddy" and kind of challenging you.
1: And it will be. Awful. But, but
2: I, I totally recommend being scary enough so that they don't challenge you. Oh, I think I. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news. Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something
1: sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Again, I think I can can still... I don't know, actually. This podcast is really going to... You know, this is odd because there's going to be video of me talking years and years and years of video. You know, if they're smart enough, they'll be able to analyze it and understand my weak points. They'll know when it's a bluff. If they do that, I will be so secretly proud. Be like, you,
2: no, but, but, but you've, you've probably got five or ten years to to up your game and have some other
1: tactics move new tactics Yeah, oh yeah,
2: cuz you gotta win. I mean, this, I have to it's
1: win. This isn't a this isn't a game to me This I'm I'll have to win. I will I will crush my <laughs> opponents whether they are other podcasters or whether they're three-year-olds I will crush spirit. I will crush my opponents with, with, <laughs> with vicious with viciousness and zero empathy my kind of guy I do love you so much I love you too Mitzi well (laughs) if this isn't just another perfect example of why I love this podcast is it starts with Sheraton Hotels and it ends with making sure a three-year-old knows that you have the power of a nuclear bomb (laughs) and you're cool enough to come on and go with it some people would be like that's very unprofessional I don't want to have anything to do with that which is you know
2: Oh, to me, it's it's the most fun part of the whole time, yeah. and I, I hope our audience feels the same way because, I mean, I once I there was a period of eight years where I had a television interview show. It was in Sacramento, California, and uh, because, and it was with the CBS affiliate, so I got to see all their studies on what makes people tune in, and. Actually, what they've really studied was, assuming you already have an audience, how do you keep them from turning the channel? Mm-hmm. And what they discovered was, and I eagerly share it with you because I mean you, you've nailed it, uh, sex, violence, and humor. <laughs> yeah. If, if the, any of those are going on, people stay tuned. On the other hand, uh, what makes them least likely to stay tuned or makes it easier for them to turn the channel? Number 50 on the list, maybe it was 47, educational things.
1: Well, that's why you have to use education. That's why you have to educate. You know what? Maybe that's why this podcast is brilliant is because it's under the veil of sex, violence, and humor that I can teach people about the MX missile system, about a Bronx tale, and about the game board operation. Maybe that's what you have to do, is you have to veil it as sex, humor, and violence. And then you throw in analogies about the Cold War or microbiology, and that's how you teach people.
2: Uh, that's certainly my approach. I mean, because once, actually, somewhere around four times a week, I had to come up with things that would get people to tune in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm interested in education. I love libraries. I love books. Uh I love ins- you know, to the extent that it's possible to inspire people to become bigger people.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But I'd always do it in the context of sex, violence, humor. Uh that's numbers one, two, and three. And after that uh was uh saving time, saving money or diet.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So I I used to, when when planning out my shows, I'd think, "It's got to check this box or this or preferably all three. And it can be done.
1: Maybe that's like the real nature. I know I got to let you go in a minute. Um, Maybe that's like the real nature of like all the violence we see in the world is it actually has nothing to do with some deep state or some Machiavellian control structure. Maybe it really is just news agencies sort of fomenting revolt so that they can get better ratings maybe that's the big secret is is it's not a military industrial complex it's just a new well,
2: I, I haven't watched um evening news for quite a while because i'm mad at the whole television industry but uh there was a time and i you can tell me if this is still true where the 10 o'clock news would always feature you know a horrific fire mm-hmm. Or a nun being stabbed, or just something horrible. Uh, and I know exactly where that's coming from. It's sex, violence, and humor. You want people to stay tuned? Uh, yeah. them-
1: no, I've, I don't think I've watched the evening news. I think I stopped watching my sophomore year of college. I used to watch during like my lunch break studying. So that was like fall 2010. But now, every once in a while, I'll turn it on. Around like Christmas time, me and my little brother will turn it on. And we'll just see how long we can go. And you we'll know, turn it on. We'll be like in the first thirty seconds. It'll be like a five-year-old girl raped to death, beheaded, and thrown in a sewer by a clown. And we'll just look at each other. <laughs> the channel. Like let's watch Toy Story. It's, <laughs> it's just like nope. I can't even. It. It's almost humorous in a way that it's that predictable. But. Mitzi, I said I would let you go at three. It's three oh one.
2: And actually, I, I should hang up quite abruptly. But I love you dearly, and I, I love, love you your and um, and I can't wait till you are saying eh, Joe Rogan move over.
1: I already have. I've had on a guy that walked on the moon twice. He has done it zero times.
2: Yay! And of course, I watched both of those. Yeah. Okay, I gotta go. But all right, all right Mitzi. Until next time. All right,
1: I love you. Oh, wait, Mitzi. Oh, wait. Okay. This yeah. is
2: what we professionally call a teaser. You invited me to come back to talk about Frank Perdue.
1: I did. And and his interests, and I won't say who, and which founding father was his favorite.
2: Uh, Yes, we'll get into that.
1: Yes, we will. Okay,
2: till next time. All
1: right, Mitzi, I love you. Thank you.
2: I love you. Bye-bye. All right,
1: right, (laughs) bye-bye.